Amen. Amen. Can we give our team a hand? <clears throat> Their heart is so amazing to worship, to lead us into God's presence. And this series we're in, Be the Church, is really about this reality that God's presence comes among us. You know, He's the incarnational God. He invites us into relationship. And as He does that, he begins moving and working. He begins restoring us. He begins mobilizing us to use our gifts, which is what we just experienced, was people using their talents and their gifts to glorify God. Church is meant to be participatory, right? It's, it's not just receiving, it's also giving and serving. And, and, and as a result, we, we see God moving in ways that even last Sunday, as we talked about restoring we, we heard stories of what God was doing. Today, we're looking at what does it mean to raise up. Uh, did you notice I got the t-shirt on again? Come on. Right? This is the vision of our church. Over the next few years, we believe God has called us to be the church. Raising up is what we're looking at today. And as you think about this and what it means, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question I often ask myself. And, and it's funny because my my family's in town. It's, it's, you know, everyone from Michigan wants to come down right now, right? It's that time, time of year, Floridians. And uh, so we've been having a great time. And we were just sharing some stories, even last night, of things we were known for 30 years ago. Oh, boy, right? <laughs> like, like things that you, you, you kind of go, oh, yeah, I, I did do that. And uh, Praise God, Jesus has redeemed me and restored me from, from whom I used to be, and uh, hopefully you feel some of that in your life as well. Uh, so let me ask you this question. What are you known for? What are you known for? What are the things that define who you are and the vision that, that God has for your life? Because that's part of what we're looking at. It's not just the vision of who we are as a church, but really like for you and I, what does it mean to have a vision for living? A vision for living out the life God has given us. And I want to drill down even further to, to ask you, if, if you're a visitor, welcome. What a great time to be here over, you know, this, uh, I, I like calling series now episodes. We're in episode three. And uh, so, you know, what a great time to be here and get a glimpse of what's going on in the church and where we're headed. But if this is your home church, what are we known for? Right? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what do people know when they hear do they even know we exist? And, and this is so important that we wrap our minds around what we believe God has revealed. That's what vision is. It's God's revealed will coming from the word of God. It's not something manufactured by myself or others. It is important to know that the process, we got into the word over the last nine months. And as we did that and as we put things on paper, we got, you know, leadership are in the church, our board, our staff around this vision, and really kind of weighed in on it, sharpened it, fine-tuned it, wanted to make sure that it was exactly what we believed God was revealing and where he wanted to lead us. So what I'd like to do right now is take a moment for us to think about what could this look like 10 years from now. Like 10 years from now, what could we be known for? Who could we be as a church. And we're going to do, uh, if you've been around church for a while, in some places there's responsive readings. And, and so a portion of that the pastor reads and a portion of that the people read. You're the people. Whether you're online or in person, you're the people. And so there's going to be a slide that says pastor. I'm going to read that. And there's a slide that says people. And guess what? You're going to? Come on. And you're going to read with a little bit of energy, a little bit of conviction, a little bit of passion is my hope. Uh, because you yeah, we'll see how this goes. All right, first one, here we go. Picture this, 10 years from now. 10 years from now, Pathway has grown to a church-wide reach of 2,000 plus that has developed an influence in Vero that is not limited by our physical footprint at 58th and 12th. Come on, church, right? It's your turn. Okay, A for effort, <laughs> D 
minus at best for alignment and rhythm. What just happened? Let's, let, let me set you up for success. I'll start it and then I'll fade out of the... Okay, let's try this. Pathway is known as a... Let's go! That is great. So good. And you, you, you recovered so fast. It's amazing. All right. It, continue again. Ten years from now, we are a multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multi-economic class church that represents the community we reside in. Come on. The people? We are a church. Uh, you're firing me up. This is exciting. So we have also, at 10 years from now, celebrated the completion of phase two of our master site plan. By the way, somebody asked me what's phase one. I said, I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> the sending of 30 ministry leaders into vocational ministry and expanded into three locations moving north along the Space Coast. Come on, church. People. Our, Oh, that's exciting. And we have helped champion Master's Academy into a new season of growth that now serves 500 plus students annually. It's exciting to think about. Last one for you. Ten. Amen. Isn't that exciting to think about 10 years from now? And, and so from that into who we are, right, the vision, as I said, is, is this idea of being the church, restoring, raising up, and reaching out. As we dive in today, we're looking specifically at raising up. What does it mean to raise up a generation of Christ followers, a generation of people that are saying, we will follow Jesus no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's happening around us. We will follow Jesus through all of the ups and downs. We are raising up a generation of Christ followers. That's the calling. That's not just our calling. That's God's revealed will in Scripture. In Matthew 28, Jesus is giving some last instructions. Uh, some of you are watching right now, and you're like, oh my goodness, this is the shortest sermon ever. <laughs> and you're so excited. And I'm just going to own that, like, wow, you really want me to be done. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, so Jesus is giving his instructions. Can you imagine, like, you're leaving earth. You're ascending to the right hand of the Father. You've got this ragtag bunch of people that you're giving your last instructions to. These are the things that that are going to carry on, that are going to make sure that the movement that you've started will survive and even thrive. And these are the words that Jesus gives, known as the Great Commission in Matthew 28. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Isn't it, don't you love how honest scripture is? It's just refreshing sometimes that there was still some doubt among them. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's so important to recognize all authority. At a time when worldly authority, governments, politics, leadership, all of that could be questioned, we know that Jesus is the ultimate authority. And all authority has been given to him. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, that generation was given a commission. 
They were told that Jesus would be with them and that he has all authority. And now under my delegated authority, you're to be a people that goes and tells others about me, that talks to Jesus and about Jesus in every generation, that as you do that, you're going to teach them everything I taught because they need to learn like you've learned to obey me. And as that happens, you're going to be moving throughout the world to all nations that it would be proclaimed. In every generation, there's something God needs to do to awaken us to his purposes, to help us to see our role as we talk to him and as we talk to others so that the message goes forward in following Jesus. I want you to sit back and just receive for a few minutes a newer song called Talking to Jesus tells a story that we hope is your story, and it's definitely a part of my story in my own family. Enjoy. Grandma used to pray out loud by her bed every night to me it sounded like mumbling like she was out of her mind she said girl this kind of praying is what saved my life you ought to try it sometime now I know she was right she was talking to Jesus she was talking to Jesus She'd been talking to Jesus For all of her life Mama used to drag me to church Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights Denim skirt and a Sunday shirt Man, I put up a fight she said, child, one day you'll thank me for having God in your life. And yeah, I know she was right. Yeah, my mama was right, cause she was talking to Jesus. She got me talking to Jesus. She got me talking to Jesus. Yeah, my mama was right. Cause now I'm talking to Jesus I love talking to Jesus And I'll be talking to Jesus For the rest of my life And what a friend we have in Jesus What a friend we have in Jesus What a friend we have in Jesus Oh, don't you know What a friend we have in Jesus What a friend we have in Jesus What a friend we have in Jesus Whoa. And I've got three of my own now Trying to raise them up right my oldest is 16 and I remember what that was like I'm trying to deal with the drama trying to figure out the questions in life and I've been looking for a way to show him how to make it all right then he walked in my room while I was saying my prayers the other night He said I'll come back later I can tell you've got a lot on your mind I said it's not an interruption You couldn't have picked a better time Cause I was just talking to Jesus Come over and give it a try we started talking to Jesus. We started talking to Jesus. 
We started talking to Jesus. Oh, and now he's talking to Jesus. Thank God he's talking to Jesus. I hope he's talking to Jesus for the rest of his life. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what a friend we have. What a friend we have in Jesus. So faithful and true. You're my best friend. What a friend we have. Oh, talk to Jesus. Talk to him now. There's no wrong way to do it, and there's no bad time to start. It don't have to sound pretty, just tell him what's on your heart. Cause it's not a religion, cause it's more like a friendship. Just talk to your father like you are his kid just start talking to jesus just start talking to jesus right now right now to jesus whenever you like just start talking to jesus right now talk to jesus oh he's our best friend just keep talking to jesus jesus for the rest of your life and what a friend we have in jesus what a friend we have in jesus what a friend we have in jesus Talk to your father right now, right now. There's no bad time to start. Just talk to your father. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Yes, we do. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Um, Y'all, that's what it's all about. It's this relationship with Jesus, how we experience that and share that with those around us in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and in our church. And I'm blessed that I'm a dad of four. I want that for my kids. I really do. And they're stepping into it in their own ways. But I'm also blessed because I have a dad who made a decision that he would be the first Christ follower in his generation, and he would set in motion something in the next generation. By God's grace, my dad did it. He's probably watching online right now. I love you, Dad. Because his talking to Jesus meant that I learned at some point how to talk to Jesus. My brother learned how to talk to Jesus. My brother's here today. Pastor Jay Bennett is in the house. You want to come up? And uh, such an honor and uh, privilege to, to be biological brothers, to be blood, you know, blood brothers, but also brothers in Christ, and to watch God work. And I thought we'd take a few minutes... Um, this morning. Do we look a little bit alike? Let's just get that out of the way. I can see some of you whispering. So, 
<laughs> it is what it is, right? Uh, so uh, he is actually involved in some pretty amazing uh, ministry. And uh, we're, we're going to kind of move from that into some things that I think will, will help us today. And so you want to tell us a little bit about Collegiate Network and, and this national ministry you're involved with that's discipling generations? Yeah. I'm a pastor at New Life Church, local church in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is a part of a bigger movement called the Collegiate Church Network, and I'm the executive director for the Collegiate Church Network, which we have 23 churches in eight states on college campuses. Um, our whole movement was birthed out of the Great Commission. So the, the verses in Matthew 28 where it says, Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So much hope in that. And our movement started in the 1970s. Actually, two guys, um, two men were drafted into Vietnam. One was originally working in a local church and seeing people come to Christ. The other was working for Campus Crusade for Christ. They end up in Vietnam separately. They're seeing people come to Christ. People who know them are like, do you two know each other? They connect them, and they start having phenomenal ministry over in Vietnam to the point where they're seeing so many come to Christ. They're like, well, what do we do? They looked at the scriptures and saw that, well, when people come to Christ, they're the church. So they said, okay, you're now the church. Go do what we did, what we did with you. And they just kind of set them loose and said, you're the church. So they started planting churches in Vietnam in military camps. They get there comes a point where they're out of Vietnam, they come back to the U.S., and they're teamed up and thinking, what do we do now? Where could we go where we could engage a similar group of people that are there for a time period, that are going through some transition, <laughs> that are young, same age, and they said, college campus. We need to go to the college campuses. And so that's what they started doing. They started visiting college campuses, sharing the gospel, and where they saw fruit, they established churches. And today, out of that movement, uh, we've, we've stayed focused on the college campus, so the Collegiate Church Network, and I said we have 23 churches in eight states, and out of that, though, there have been tons of people who have either planted a church and gone on to do a city thing or gone international, and we know right now of over a thousand churches in the world that are, were started as a result of... It started as a result of us trying to reach the next generation. And so our, uh, our focus is if you, if you love Jesus, you love the local church, you love the next generation, then you probably love us. We're in the midst of all that. <clears throat> CollegiateChurchNetwork.com? How do they get born? Yeah, CollegiateChurch. We didn't plan this part. You just go CollegiateChurch. That is awesome. the whole thing. And uh, yeah, we yeah. love the next generation. Encourage you to check it out and get more information on what they're doing. Um, as you guys do this um, and, and work with the next generation and see God moving, what are some things that you're learning about discipleship and that you guys are seeing uh, with the next generation? We're, we're a generation now church, all generations, amen? But we want to make sure no generation is missed. And so tell us about what you're seeing with the next generation. Yeah, I've never been more excited about the next generation than I am actually right now, uh, which I know is kind of countercultural. It goes against a lot of the thoughts about millennials and even Gen Z and what's coming, and we're seeing the opposite. Um, that what I'm finding amongst the next generation on college campuses and those who are coming into college campuses right now is that they don't want all the bells and whistles, the big production, they don't need all that. We're seeing a generation that wants presence over programs. They want the presence of God. They want accessibility over attraction, meaning they don't want to just invite to some event. They want to take Christ and be, make him accessible to the world, to their friends, to the dark and hurting places. They hmm. want contribution over consumerism. Hmm. They want to be involved. They want to contribute. They're hungry. They're experiencing gifts and the fruit of the Spirit um, in various ways. We actually just this year uh, up at University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, the church where I'm at, um, there were stories as we've People are leaning into hearing Jesus. That, that song's it. I mean, they're listening to Jesus, and Jesus is speaking, and he's leading them, and we're catching up. We're, we're coming alongside them, 
And they're like, yeah, we read about this in Acts, and there's gifts of healing. So a kid showed up, and he had a, a sprained ankle, and it was black and blue. So we prayed for it in our small group, and by the end, it was no discoloration, and he was fine. And we're like, yeah, <laughs> way to go, way to lean in. Um, the other thing we're seeing is prayer. People are growing and, and passionate about prayer, which in, in all movements of God, it either is birthed out of prayer or prayer is accompanying it in a huge way. We're seeing witnesses. We just sent a bunch of people um, actually down to Destin, Florida, because that's what you do on spring break when you're in Michigan. So we had a bunch of students come down, and they brought a friend who had never been involved in the church. They jumped onto the spring break trip, shared the gospel, uh, which was this student's first time ever sharing the gospel, and her friend came to Christ. They were on fire. They came back to campus. Their roommate heard about it. She said, hey, you, could you come share that gospel thing again? So she shared it. Roommate comes to Christ. Roommate's on fire, wants to get their friend. So it's like, it's just a succession of, of one after the other sharing the gospel, um, being involved. And he's doing something today. Uh, I would say coming out of the pandemic, this is what's pretty crazy too, is that more times than not, where people are most open to the gospel is when there's times of tension, transition, and tragedy. In life, and there isn't a person on this planet that hasn't experienced. Can you, can you repeat that? Yeah. That, did you all catch that? That was really good. Tension, transition, and tragedy. And the college is often a place of tension and transition, people trying to figure out where they're going. But the last few years, everyone on this planet has, has gone through or is still going through tension, transition, and tragedy. And coming out of that, as we've been praying and looking at what God's doing, there's a thought of the pandemic has ruined so much. Churches have shrunk. Um, and I don't think that's what God is saying. He's like, no, they haven't shrunk. I'm pruning them. You prune for more fruit. The pandemic hasn't ruined the fruit. It has ripened it. And what I'm believing and what we're seeing is I think there is a harvest waiting to, be, to come about, and it's going to come through the next generation. The next Amen. generation is going to be on fire listening to Christ and leaning into Christ. And the question is, are we ready to walk with them, to come alongside them, encourage them, fan into flames, what they're hearing and believing, because God's going to bring a harvest. Amen. Amen. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, throughout this series, um, there's things we're talking about, and, you know, you're hearing about th these macro things, and we, we want to keep drilling down onto what does this mean, not just for we, but me. And oftentimes there's things that, aren't being talked about, right? We can talk about talking about Jesus, but we also have to sometimes talk about things that we don't want to talk about. Right now in pop culture, there's actually a song that has been on fire itself for the last few months. We're going to play a little clip of this because many of you have heard it. If you haven't, the next generation definitely could sing along. Let's play this clip. What if you didn't understand what he saw? Then you better figure it out because it was coming for you. We don't talk about Bruno, no, no, no. We don't talk about Bruno. But it was my wedding day. We were getting ready and there wasn't a cloud in the sky. Many of you have heard this song, yes? It's everywhere, and it's so catchy, and you can't help but want to sing along, but it's also reinforcing a cultural lie. You see, it's about generations in that song that we don't talk about what happened in the family. We don't talk about what happened in the past. We don't talk about that. And we serve a God that says, no, bring it all into the light. Bring it all into the light because that's where he does his best work. From generation to generation, we've been experiencing, even in our own family, what happens when we bring things into the light. 
So I'm going to kick it over to my brother to, to share a little bit about some of that because some of it may relate to conversations that y'all need to have for God to be, begin healing and bringing the next generation along with Christ. Yeah, so openness begets openness. If we're open, it allows other people to be open. I think there's nothing more open than God coming and walking amongst us. He invites us into relationship, and discipleship is about becoming like Christ, refining us, removing anything that is not like Christ so that what people see in us, what's left is Christ. It's like the artist, the famous artist who is chiseling away marble, and they're like, well, how do you do this? And he says, I just remove anything that isn't the statue, because that's what's the sculpture that's in there. I already see it. And God has created us. He has seen us. He sees us in us. And so there was a point in my life where... uh, my brother was being refined by Christ, and that was not our background. We grew up in the church, but we were like, the church ain't for us, which is like seeing us on this stage now leading in his church, there's not two more unlikely candidates than <laughs> the two who sit before you. Amen. The dreams that he talks about seeing in Vero Beach, as he went through that, I had the lists in my head of high school, the dreams of who we would toilet paper and where we would go and what we would do. And I'm like, how far we have come, what God has done in our life. And there was a point where he would call and his life's been transformed. And I'm like, who, who are you? Because he's talking about Jesus and he's saying things that like my parents have said. And I'm like, what did you do with my brother? And long, long story short, after I graduate, I'm at a summer camp. There, we happen to be in the same sanctuary. He's next to me. And there comes a moment where I'm just broken. God's calling me out to really follow him. And I end up on the floor weeping through the whole thing. And after the service, we walk out, and Brian's like, so what happened in there? I'm like, oh, nothing. (laughs) Because we had this belief in us that we don't cry. We don't cry in our family. We don't share about that. We don't go to hard places like that's just not it. And so it it was just weird. And, And we talked about this in our 30s. Yeah. In our 30s, we finally dig into this. We're like, where did that come from? Because we always believed it. We were like, we got to be strong and gritty and all this, which is the opposite of what Christ wants. He wants us to lean into his strength, not our own. And we have, sometimes as we grow up, we have things in our life that are lies, especially when you say, all right, I'm going to follow Christ. It's like all the things we used to do, all of a sudden the enemy is like, okay, they switch sides. Now attack them with, they're not worth it. They can't do this. Here's all the lies and their shame and guilt and all this stuff. The whole, that song that was sung earlier, that I am who you say I am. The first part of discipleship is you are who you say you are. The rest of your life is I am who I say I am. Or I am who you say I am. And leaning into believing what Jesus says about us. And so as we backtrack this, even this lie that was like tripping us up about vulnerability. Because if you can't cry and you can't open up and you can't share... How do you go to hard places in discipleship? So we're in our 30s and we're talking about this and we pinpointed one place where we think it came from and there was a moment where my dad was, he was just sharing, it was a night service and he stood up and he, he was confessing a few things and sharing and he cried. And in that moment, about a dozen men in the, the church gathered around him, laid hands on him and prayed. And how did you experience that moment? Uh, I saw that moment not for its redemptive, restorative quality. I saw that moment, I'm ashamed to say, as a moment of, of weakness, of, humi- of not humility, but humiliation. I was incredibly embarrassed. So much so that I, I decided to double down. That, that I was going to put up walls that no one could get through. I'm never going to do that or be that. And that led to about 25 years of we don't cry you know pain is just weakness leaving the body is something i he laughs i used to say that all the time like we we know we're not going to be real and it all started in that moment but for you it was so interesting when we're talking in our 30s that that same moment in our family affected him entirely different yeah i saw the power of the church the power of Humility on display and receptivity of the church. It was God's grace. And the strength of men coming around in that moment. And a total moment of vulnerability and weakness. The very thing that our culture says, ha, 
and then they push you out was being embraced. And they were seeing past it, seeing who he is as a, as a Christ follower. And I didn't catch all this until my 30s, into my 40s. And as we had these conversations, because I was like, he doubled down on that. And we discipled each other in that lie our whole life. We're going to be tough. We're not going to do this. I embraced that lie. It was, he picked it up in that moment, but I was like, we don't cry in our family. So I'm in my late 20s being discipled by other people in tears. People are like, what's going on? I'm like, well, I'm crying, and I feel shame for that. Like, you shouldn't feel shame for that. Like, what's going on? And they dig it out, and as we're processing, I'm like, oh, my word. I believe that tears are weakness, and we shouldn't have weakness. And it, it all comes back to this. And what God was doing, what Christ was doing, is he has to sometimes untangle the mess in our life, the lies in our life to free us. Because what God wants is he wants his people to be free. Amen. To Amen. experience his grace and his mercy and to walk in his freedom. And I'll tell you what, when we think about the next generation, the thing the next generation needs most is they do not need to hear things. They do not need to go have experiences they don't need, they, there's a lot of things they need, but what they need most is they need to see those closest in their life, their moms, their dads, their parents' friends who are Christ followers, they need to see us living sold out to the king. Um, if we um, want them to live with Jesus as their king, they need to see that he is king of us. And he has so much hope and truth and life and grace for us are we willing to lean into the dark places and allow him to untangle things? The, the Bruno of our life, will we go there? Because he's got redemption for us, if we will. So, Amen. you give my brother a hand? Thank you. Um, as we continue to unpack this, uh, we, we're in a journey, you're in a journey, and I want to go for a few minutes to, to somebody's journey in Scripture that prior to Wednesday, I wasn't planning on going here in the message today, but God was just so clear, like, this is where you need to be. So turn with me to Acts chapter 9, and uh, if you're taking notes or a note taker, pathwayvb.com slash FYI has this. If you're not a note taker, start today. We want you to grow, and we think, I, I don't know about you, I'm not just visual and audio, I'm kinesthetic in my learning style, I, so when I engage and I write things or take notes, it helps me remember. Anybody else? Okay? Uh, and so in Acts chapter 9, um, the part that, that I think if we had more time we could unpack, as far as our, is the, the when I started to realize where that lie started, when I started to realize that actually my brother was incredibly gracious to me just now. Because there was a lie that he was believing that I had really perpetuated, that, that I had actually placed in his life, and I had a lot of repenting to do and a lot of forgiveness to ask for, because I realized that things I had done and said had harmed and hurt him. Praise God, he's been able to get free of that. I've been able to get free of this stuff in my life. In the book of Acts, there's this gentleman named Saul. And if you, we had time, you would see in chapter 8 of Acts that this gentleman, Saul, is incredibly religious, zealous for his faith. He's trained under a guy named Gamil, he's, who was the rabbi of the day. He's got like the Harvard-Princeton kind of education. He's so zealous for the faith that he actually sees the followers of this thing called the Way, these Christ followers, and he begins to persecute them even to the point of death in the case of Stephen, the first martyr. And in chapter 9, we, we step into his story and we see that Christ steps into his story. And there's a few things, I think, that can help us as we think about generations of Christ followers. Because this guy had every reason to feel like he wasn't good enough and he had done too much damage for God to use him. Anybody else ever felt like that? third of you are honest. The rest of you will get there. <laughs> I believe in you. Chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
Uh, followers of the way, that phrase there, there's three times that you'll find it in the New Testament. It's the term and where we get Christi- Christianity or Christian. It, it actually originated with followers of the way. They were seeing people that were following Jesus. Three times that idea is used in the New Testament. 269 times the word disciple or discipleship is used. Jesus set in motion not an idea of Christianity as we understand it today in the modern American world. He set in motion Christ's followers, followers of the way. Does this make sense? Here, Saul is headed 150 miles to Damascus. That's how zealous he is. Look what happens. It says, Now as he went on the way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. If you're taking notes, raising up a generation of Christ followers, the first thing I want to point out here is it's about relationship over religion. That it's about relationship over religion. That in fact, while Saul was very religious, he had missed who Jesus was. And when Jesus stepped into his life, he was converted by coming face to face with Jesus. Our greatest hope and our greatest desire should be in our lives, in the lives of those around us, that they experience and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That they actually begin to understand the gospel is an invitation, the good news is an invitation into not just forgiveness of sins and someday being in heaven with Jesus, but it's an invitation into a friendship. Jesus says, I am with you, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and I have abundant life for you. That it's a better life than we would have lived. And so again, we have to prioritize in every generation that we don't get caught up in in religion in the way that gets in the way. Are you with me? Where our traditions or how we do things or the way we think about things, where actually the priority is first and foremost, we want you to look at, to know, and to experience Jesus Christ because he is the one that will change you. He is the one that will invite you into community and into a purpose that the world will never offer you. And this generation... Every generation has that opportunity. Here's the thing. When you think about the next generation, what do they need from the older generation? They need relationship over religion. They need to see a faith in your 60s, 70s, 80s, and in this church in our 90s. Come on, y'all. Generation now living for that relationship with Jesus over religion. Now, as the story goes on, he's converted and, and you, you would need to know that, that actually Paul, who, who Saul becomes Paul, and in that conversion, he ends up writing about two-thirds of the New Testament. He's used by God in mighty ways, the Apostle Paul. But I don't want us to miss how this works, because as we read on in chapter 9, there's disciple-makers that come alongside of him and actually help him to really understand this new faith. Picking up in verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight and to the house of Judas. Look for a man of of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, say go, 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 for he is a chosen instrument of mine 
to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you have came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and regained his sight. And he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. Can you imagine if Ananias said no? Can you imagine if Ananias said, no, not today. I'm too afraid. I could never do that. I'm comfortable. I know what he could do to me. Raising up generations of Christ followers requires faith over fear. That actually you and I would have the kind of faith of an Ananias that when God says, hey, you need to have that conversation. Hey, you need to talk to that person. Hey, you need to be real about this. That faith would be over our fear. Where does that come from? It comes from a relationship. You see, Ananias is talking to Jesus. He's hearing from God. And because he knows him, because he loves him, he obeys him. And we need to be reminded that that obedience to Jesus, that love, that faith flows out of a relationship. He trusts him. And God uses him in a mighty way. Who are the Ananiases in this room or online right now? Who are those that God's saying, listen, will you hear from me? Will you go have that conversation? Will you talk to that person? Will you pray for them? Will you tell them what I've done in your life? Quit hiding the things that I've done. They all think you're perfect today. But do they know where you've come from? Where are the Ananiases that will meet with the Sauls and say, listen, there is hope. Don't give up. Jesus loves you. And I say it that strongly because I believe that some of you already know God's been tugging on you. God's been asking you to talk to a coworker, to talk to a family member, to talk to a neighbor. Faith over fear is how we find generations and raise up generations of Christ followers. Let me show you one last thing for today. If you jump ahead to verse 26. So you have Saul to Paul, he meets Jesus. Then you have Ananias coming alongside and discipling and picking up in verse 26. It says, when he, this is Saul, when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. So he's attempting to join the church. Can I get even more like to today? He walked through the doors at Pathway. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But, say but, aren't you glad there's some big butts in the Bible? I did that on purpose. You're, you're still here. That's good. This is one of those bit larger butts in the Bible. Because while this moment could have removed Saul from the church, there was a Barnabas. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them on how the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Sisera and sent him off to Tarsus. And look at what happens here. Barnabas steps in. This is bigger than a moment. That's the last point I want to make is that generations of Christ followers, that it's relationship over religion, faith over fear, and it's a movement over a moment. Saul had had a moment. Ananias had had a moment. But there's a movement unfolding here. This is the way in what Christ had intended. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. You see, generations of Christ followers being raised up. 
is a movement. It's a movement that Christ set in motion. It means that, yes, we'll have moments with Jesus, but it's more importantly that we keep following Jesus because it's a movement. And so some next steps throughout this series that we've been talking about, and I just want to drill down a little bit further today. Because this isn't a vision from a platform, it's a vision for a people. A vision that we believe God has for us. And so just like Saul experienced Jesus, just like Ananias listened and obeyed Jesus, just like Barnabas listened and obeyed Jesus and invited him into what God was doing, the church then began to be built up and to multiply. And when we think about next steps, we actually have uh, created for you a very easy way to figure out what yours is. If you go to pathwayvb.com slash next steps, you could do this literally right now. If you're online and not driving, you could do this. If you're here in this room, you could do this. To literally go there and to say, okay, if God, what is my next step with connecting with God and with others? Connecting, we often talk about our worship environment. What does that look like online and in person? We have some ideas and some options for you to take your next step. What does it look like for you to say, I want to grow. I want to I grow with Jesus. I need to be in a place where the Brunos in my life are shared and exposed. I need to get into a group or a ministry or a class where I can be around other people. Again, we have some options for you some ideas on how you could do that and begin really growing. And then serving, what does it look like for you to say, I'm ready not just to volunteer and serve, but to know what my spiritual gifts are and to begin to use your spiritual gifts because that's actually when you experience the power of God and our church experienced the power of God. It's the guaranteed place of his power. It's that convergence of who Jesus is in you and the gifts he's given us. Giving is a part of our discipleship. For some of you, you might be doing connecting and, and growing and serving, and God's going to say, okay, faith over fear. I need you to become a giver. I need you to follow the principle of first and put me first with your finances. I need you to be a good steward and a giver. For some of you, it's not the financial aspect. God may want to stretch you beyond a 10% tithe. It may be actually that, or it could be time. God's saying, listen, you thought all your time was yours, but I've put my breath in your lungs for a reason. You woke up today for a purpose. Start to give me some of your time. Can I get an amen, church? And then inviting. What does it look like for you to be somebody who's inviting people if it begins by inviting them to church, that's great, but bigger than that is the invitation to know and follow Jesus. So all of these are there for you. What is your next step? Because God, I believe, in every generation is moving, and we are to be a movement over a moment. I want to pray over us, and then we're going to go into a song that really is a declaration. It's an anthem. And here's what I know. When we put these together, these next step questions a few weeks back, I'll just tell you where it came from. Somebody uh, was looking at the vision with me, and they actually said, what does this mean for, for us? How do we get involved in a vision like this? And I started to realize like we needed to make it more practical, and so we've done what we could. But if you don't take your next step, we miss out on what God wants to do. Because this is something so much bigger than any one of us. And if we each do our part, that 10-year-from-now picture is going to unfold. And honestly, it may happen faster than 10 years by God's grace. Because if we do these things... If we connect and grow and serve and give and invite, this church in your life will go to the next level and blow up by God's grace. Blow up for the older generation is also a good term. <laughs> I need to qualify that. Now blow up in a bad way, blow up in an amazing way, all right? Will you stand? I want to pray over us.
God may be have working, uh, he may be working, I'm guessing, in some way in your heart or mind today. We have out these doors here, if you're on site, a, a hub and a prayer room available, people ready to pray for you. We have our kneeling benches and altars up here, people ready to pray for you. I want to encourage you to, to allow God to speak during this time. As you declare, as we declare who he is, if you need prayer, Maybe you don't know Jesus, you've had a ton of religion, and now it's time to step into relationship, or maybe come back. Maybe it's a recommitment to Jesus. Whatever that looks like online or in person, this is the moment where it moves to a people that are saying yes and amen. So Father, we thank you that you multiply and build your church in every generation, that Jesus, you are faithful, you are the cornerstone, you are the rock. You are the one that we look to. I thank you that if we have things like we're shared today, things that, that even like Saul had, things that are holding us up, lies, fears, God, I pray and believe that your love and your presence is so much greater. So pour out your love. Holy Spirit, be poured out. Fill us up with you. Build and multiply your church that we could be who you've called us to be. May we each take our next step. In Jesus' name, amen.
church, build it from the ground up. It's your church, build your church, build your church, build it from the ground up. We're your church, build your church, build your church, build it from the ground up. It's your church, build your church, build your church, build it from the ground up. good and he is building his church amen if you're a visitor again we're so glad you were here in a moment when we dismiss if you're on site right through those doors to our welcome center we've got a gift for you and would love to welcome you I want to invite all of you to stay and connect to be the church to get to know those around you if you need prayer we'll stay here and available I also want to invite you we have a big outreach coming Uh, three weeks from now, which is hard to believe it's coming, Uh, our Easter Extreme Egg Drop. And come on, church. And uh, we're about 50% there with candy, which means we need a lot of candy this week, okay? And so I'd want to encourage you to go to pathwayvb.com slash candy, see how you could help provide even a bag or a hundred bags of candy either way. Um, you know, this week, and uh, we're excited. Our women's ministry and others are, are, are working together to put all of that uh, together. We just need some more candy, so that would be awesome. So we get ready to go today. Uh, so thankful to have my brother here again, and have asked him. Love you, man. That's something we wouldn't have said publicly a long time. We were too tough for that. A uh, couple of knuckleheads, right? I've asked him if he'd be willing to pray over and just speak life over us as we get ready to go. Amen? So, thank you. Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, that is not a property or building, but it's 
filled with the people. People who have a relationship with you, who know who you are and know your voice. God, I ask that you would make yourself more real to these people today. God, reveal yourself. Speak where they've longed to hear your voice. Would they hear it through your scripture, through each other? God, would you make yourself clear to them? Lord, invite us even more in this day to believe you are who you say you are. God, let us trust that you are with us always, even to the end of the age. God, that they would lean into your Holy Spirit and your power, your gifts, your strength, your character. God, I pray that they would believe they are who you say they are. God, set them free. Lord, do things in the midst of this church and in this community that make no sense outside of your hand. God, would people see healing in this community? God, would people see freedom? Would light shine and darkness and stories that make no sense be brought into your light and be redeemed? God, I pray that you would put a fire in these people that when they go out, the joy of your Holy Spirit would fill them so much that other people see it and want what they have. God, we thank you that you are in control, that you sit on the throne, that we get to celebrate your resurrection in a few weeks. God, would it be a bigger moment in this church's life individually, each and every one, and collectively than they've had in years, Lord. Would you speak words to them in this season of where they're going and what they're doing, what you want to do? Lord, I pray that you would ignite faith in the midst of them and belief that you can do all things and that they can do all things through you who strengthen them. Your spirit is limitless. It is power. Would you empower these people in ways that they can't fathom. And God, would you advance your kingdom and your church right here. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go now and be the church. Have a great week.